The following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Got a question for you. Why has mowing become so popular? I, I, I'm really wondering. Uh, I don't see people grimacing out on mowers anymore. Uh, it looks like they're actually somewhat enjoying themselves. Um, is, is it really have everything to do with zero-turn mowers? Is, is that, is that, Laverta, is that what it's about? Laverta, when did you begin, you began mowing a few weeks ago? Now, I know you've mowed before in life, but on this mower. You went mowed the day before you were in the hospital, and it was going to be a while before you could mow again, all right? And Melvin said you got on the mower, and he could not get you off of it, okay? Much like my mom, it's like, it's like you turn those levers, and it's like you're playing bumper cars and mowing all at the same time. It's great. It is so much fun. Um, but I think it's more, I do believe it's more than zero-turn mowers that does this. Um, as I watch people mowing, I don't know, I've got a thing about, well, I mean, driving, you see... On a nice day, you see people out mowing their yard on a Saturday specifically. Now, see a number of different things. Some people you'll see have earplugs in their ears. Other people you'll see something else in their ears. All right, earbuds that are attached to their phone or something else. But the majority of what I see are earplugs because I think the mowing attraction is a time to, for a while, get away. I mean, you've got, you've got blades going that will chop things off of people, okay? They're not going to bother you. Your kids don't bother you when you're on the mower. I mean, you'll run them over if they do, okay? I mean, it's like you got time to yourself, time to think. As Steve Fry says, I asked him about, I asked him one time, now another time he uses his driving, and I asked him, do you ever listen to the radio? And he just looked at me. And that was the answer. He said, my mind entertains me. That's all I need. <laughs> that was kind of funny. But seriously, with, with mowing, you get time to let the mind roam. And it's funny the places it'll go when you're sitting on a mower. I've gone back to the high school glory days. They weren't really that glorious, but in my mind they were when I'm on the mower. You know what I mean? Your mind will roam. Maybe your mind will go to the next step and begin to ponder a little bit. We're going to look at that word a little bit today. What about study? Is, is mowing a time to study? You know, we spend a lot of time in our lives studying in and out of classrooms. Now, here's the question, and I have to ask this question for this next statement to make sense. The question is this. If so much of our life is spent studying, what makes study a spiritual discipline? Understand, when I say the word spiritual discipline, I'm talking about something that makes us look more like Jesus. Richard Foster, um, the author of the book Celebration of Discipline, his son Nathan Foster wrote the book The Making of an Ordinary Saint, inspired by his father's, his dad's book, his father's day, by Richard Foster. And Richard Foster has this to say about what makes study a spiritual discipline. He says, what makes study a Christian spiritual discipline is the content of our study as well as the spirit by which we engage our study. Let me say that again. What makes it is spiritual discipline is the content of our study as well as the spirit by which we engage our study. Now let's think about that here for a moment. Our camp 
theme verse, which JB knows really, really well now after two weeks, all right? And we're going to get to know it really well, five and six, or fifth and sixth graders. I keep wanting to say five and six-year-olds. <laughs> no, Ooh, a week. Oh, my goodness, that's not happening. Okay. Is this, it comes out of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. If you want to, to put a finger there for a little bit, we're going to start there, and we're going to circle the wagons back to it before we end today. Okay? Philippians 4, 8. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and man, he was happy with these folks, all right? It's the joy book of the Bible. He says how much he takes joy in them many, many times. And as he's wrapping up his letter in Philippians 4, verse 8, he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell. You know what the word literally translated from the Greek into the English is? Closest thing we got to that Greek word, it's not dwell. The word is ponder. Ponder. Let me tell you something about pondering. It doesn't happen quickly. You don't ponder for two or three seconds and move on with your day. Ponder, to ponder, takes time. Okay, keep that in mind. Now, before we dive into the content part of study what we are studying, let's look very close at the way we come, the spirit in which we come to study. Another way of putting it is look at our motives. Tell me what you think when I say these words. And you can just say it in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud. Okay? I got three words for you. Academia, high-browed, ivory-towered. You have great things that that come to mind when it comes to study? We have to ask ourselves, before we come into a time of study, this question, why? Why should I study this? Why should I study this? The Word of God. Do do I study this so I can win debates? Is that the reason for my study? Nathan Foster, I already told you, his dad wrote the Celebration of Discipline. Nathan Foster wrote The Making of an Ordinary Saint. It's interesting, the, the, the picture he paints of his very wise words. This is what he says as he was trying this work of becoming an ordinary saint. That's what he says. comes to study, he says this, I can be greedy with learning. Collecting and storing knowledge like a compulsive hoarder. And for what? To impress others? To feel clever and smug? Tightly wrapped in a cloak of quotes and insights like an, adi- like an addict, I detach from others in life in order to consume more. And to what end? Just so I can be smarter. Just so I can impress people. For the Christian, guys, for you and me, the only way to enter into study is with an overall spirit of humility. A humbleness of heart. We come to study not as a teacher. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably 
Sometimes we come to study not as a student, we come as a teacher thinking that we're going to teach the study something. I, I know that sounds crazy, but I know every one of us do it sometimes. But the humble heart comes to study as a student. Without this attitude of humility, study will only produce one thing in us. Arrogance and pride. The real question is this, before I come to study, is this. How teachable am I? Because arrogance and a teachable spirit are completely incompatible. They're on opposite ends of the spectrum. That's the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus' followers. You you understand me? The Pharisees came to Jesus. Their approach to Jesus is, is, we are better, smarter, stronger, everything than you. And we are here to put you in your place. His followers came to Jesus looking to follow him humbly. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, why do we want to study? Next question is, What are we going to study? This thing right here is still obviously the most powerful content that God has given to his people. And I'm not going to paraphrase it because that's probably what will end up happening. I'm going to read it and you can read it with me if you'd like. We'll circle back to Philippians here in just a second. But if you want to turn to Hebrews, the most famous passage of scripture in our Bible about the Bible comes from Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And boy, this is a good one to lock into the brain, to memorize, okay? Hebrews 4, 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and and Morrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Is there anything about that verse that looks safe and painless? You, you, see, you see, I see words like sword, double-edged sword. I see words like piercing, division, judge. There's a reason why many in the world will not open this thing up, because when they open it up, they feel judged because if you read this long enough it will only say one thing to every one of us change change so how well are we getting to know this this book that god has given us how well are we getting to know it guys i have two books on on the the bookcase a bookcase in the office i'd love to give them away somebody come up first two after church come up to me i give them to you all right and i'll buy some more it's called it's by mike c armor's called a newcomer's guide to the bible and it's basically this if you want to understand this better and you don't really understand how the books of it go to get it's just confusing when you read it that book will help you and it's a short read you want it, first two, come get it, and they're yours. And like I said, I'd love to get more of those and pass a hundred of those out. But God didn't just give us the Bible. He gave us something else to read and to study. And that is His creation. You know, reading in that classroom is made up of listening and observing each and every day. As we walk through this world... Um, Sunrise over a mountain range is capable of teaching us about God's creative beauty. It is. A summer thunderstorm, man, I love them. You know, about, about a couple hours after sunset, at night, you can see them coming from, I don't know how far away. 
but it's a long ways away. You can't even hear the thunder yet, but you can see the flashing coming. And, and you see that summer thunderstorm, and it, it tells us, it teaches us, if we allow it, about God's incredible power and his exhaustless energy. You want to know somebody who got a, an up-close and lesson about God's creation? His name's Job. All right, and you can read about him in the last part of the story about him in the Old Testament. When God showed up and said, Job, I've been listening to you for a few days. Why don't you listen to me for a little bit? And it rocked Job's world. <laughs> okay? And God talking about his creation. Guys, we don't have to find ourselves in Timbuktu either to observe and to learn from the world God created. I can tell you right now, with the right perspective, I can learn a lot at the dinner table with my family. Just watching. Now, I don't always do that. Unfortunately, do I, dear? <laughs> but I can. We've talked about why to study and what to study. More of that what to study specifically as we go through what we're going to look at here in just a moment. But with those two things behind us, here, here we go. This is what we're really going to focus on the most today. Is this. How to study. What we're going to look at is four steps of study. And when I'm talking about study, these four steps would apply to any study. These are the steps you could use if you've got a final that you've got to prepare for, all right? You can use them in the classroom. You can use them anywhere. But we're going to apply them spiritually speaking here, okay? The steps of study. Number one. Are you ready? If you like to take notes, here you go. Repetition. Repetition. How many times, I'm going to see if you've, if you've heard this before, how many times does it take to do something before it becomes a habit? See how lately you've studied this. 21? 28? 28? That's the one that goes around. I, I read 21 this week too. I don't, I don't know if you said that, Darren, or not. Somebody over here said it. 28 is the one that we've heard. That's the one that I heard a lot when I was a youth coming up in camp and heard at school and that sort of thing. I still remember our PE teacher telling us, 28 times, boys, 28 times, but it only takes like one-tenth of a time to break that habit. I mean, that's how he said it, all right? You know what? More recent studies have come to found the average time something needs to be repeated for people before it becomes a habit 66, 66 times. Repetition. Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, understood this. He understood that there's something inside him that fought repetition. That fought doing something for the sake of growth in Christ. And that is why... Paul said this, I discipline my body and I make it my slave. He said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said this, I die daily. Now, if you look at, the, if you look at that closely, what you will see is he's talking about sacrifices that he makes. But what Paul's talking about in that verse is this, I die to my own desires every day. I do stuff that I really don't want to do. I, I don't want to do it. I do it, though. 
because I die daily. And if Jesus Christ did not die and rise again, to what purpose am I doing this? That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is about. His argument that Jesus did raise from the dead. Actively becoming a student of the word and life around us will include sacrifice because, guys, I can be completely... There are a very few number of people in this room who like repetition. Now, don't get me wrong. We like habits. We like... But something that takes sacrifice to do on a daily basis, it's human nature to fight it. First, repetition. Second thing in study is this, concentration. Is this the forgotten skill? I mean, tell you what, I, I, how many people here concentrate with ease? Anybody? I'm putting my hand down because it's not happening for me. All right? I, man, I chase rabbits, squirrels, dogs, dinosaurs. It does not matter. If it's imaginary, I ch- it does not matter. I will chase it. I will chase it at any given time. I mean, I'm, like, I'm here. I'm here. I am present. I hear you, hon. I hear what you're saying. I'm here. Whoa, did you see? Did you see that? What? Oh, sorry. Okay. What did you say again? Okay. Concentration. I've never understood this. This year, we're not going to Colorado. Right now, you can't hardly go to the part of Colorado we like to go to because it's all shut down because of fires. But we're not going. It's just not fitting into our schedule this year. But I've never understood this. You pull up in this gravel bar. You're 10,200 feet up. You're in a valley. There's mountains all around. It is absolutely beautiful. And then you have somebody drive right next to you, pop out the speakers on their brand new motorhome, and start playing Led Zeppelin. And you're just like, is that what you came to Colorado for? Seriously. Look around. Look around. They're not playing John Denver, folks. I'll tell you what, Rocky Mountain High has gone to a whole new level in Colorado these days. You know what I'm saying, all right? Is it even possible to run from distraction anymore? You know what? A successful student learns not only to attempt to leave distraction. That's a good attempt. That's what camp's all about, by the way, folks, is to pull our students away for a week, and leave the distractions behind for a while so they can focus on something else. But you don't take camp home. It's impossible. So what a successful student does is he or she learns the art of focus. It's tough to focus just for a 35, 40 minute folks. We're talking about focusing on what God wants for us on a daily basis so we can grow more into the image of Christ. It's impossible to get rid of distractions in this world. It is. So we have to learn to concentrate in the midst of distraction. That's why Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews tells us to run the race like we should. And you know how, this is his his primary advice. He talks about leaving the sin behind that entangles and stuff like that. But his primary advice is this. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Focusing on Jesus. Comprehension. Or maybe, oh, I just jumped ahead. Concentration. Comprehension is next. All right. 
how many of you, now this is interesting to me, because I don't know if you knew this or not, and I haven't watched any of it, because I, I, I don't have the means to watch it, but, but they, that, like, you remember the Cry Kid? You know they got a new Cry Kid with the same guys, but they're old men now? And they are old men. I mean, I'm looking at them thinking, wow, Karate Kid's not a kid anymore. I mean, it's just like, wow. I don't even know if he's the good guy anymore in this show. I'm just not even sure. But, but do you remember? Man, I'm dating myself here. I'm sorry. But do you remember when the Karate Kid came out? Oh, yeah, 80s babies out there. Uh-huh. All right. And when that came out, you remember that? You tell your kids this. They'll have no idea what you're talking about. Wax on, wax off. They'll be like, what? You know it, Eddie. Can you, can you demonstrate? All right, very good, very good. Wax on, wax off, okay? And, and, and poor Danielson, all right, was having such a hard time with Mr. Miyagi because all he felt like he was doing was his work all the time, and he's supposed to be learning karate. And then the moment came, the eureka moment, when Mr. Miyagi starts throwing punches at him, wax on, wax off, Danielson. And he can't hit him. Love it. It's that moment when you realize all of that repetition, all of that focus finally works and something happens. You know what it's like? It's like finally understanding algebra. And I know there's some of us in this room that you're like, I never understood algebra. But there's some of us, well, you, who did understand algebra. You know, life sometimes seems like an algebra equation. And you're like, there ain't no way I'm figuring this one out. And then the moment comes. The Holy Spirit gets involved, and we get it. There are few things in life more satis- that are more satisfying than figuring out something that really matters after studying for a while. And when you put the Holy Spirit into that equation, it becomes the re- eureka moment for us. I got it, God, I got it. It took six months, okay? But I got it. Before we move on to the next step, this is a sub-step, I guess you would say. You know what makes comprehension really, really good? Is applying it. Application. It. And doing it. All right. And when all of that's done, we get to our final step of study, and it's this one, reflection. Reflection allows us to see the significance of what we're studying, okay? And maybe I can illustrate it in this way. You know those moments in life when you realize sometimes after some very hard lesson learning... Yeah, any of you learn lessons the hard way out there? That's just your preferred way, okay? All right. And you realize that Dad was right, <laughs> and he really knew what he's talking about fifteen years ago. Never would have thought it, but he's right, and now I got it. That's reflection. And that's when you get on the phone, you say, thanks, Dad. Happy Father's Day. More importantly, in Christian life, 
Reflection allows us to see things from God's perspective. Okay? And that's hard. That is so hard because God sees with a lens that we can't understand. And I wish we could. We find ourselves in the midst of life beaten Torn up. God sees it all. He sees the end game. And the more we study, the more our perspective opens up. This should be our prayer, folks, on a daily basis. God, help me see the world the way you see it. These are prayers God loves to answer. And he answers these prayers by and through study many times, along with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Any of you ever been over, I believe it's close to Neosho, Missouri, to the, um, to the park, uh, George Washington Carver? Have, have, you, have you been there? It's, pretty, it's a pretty neat place. Um, hopefully you've heard, you know, something about George Washington Carver through school or, or through study. With your family through history? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I learned about him in school. I also happened to learn about him in college. You see, George Washington Carver wasn't just an inventor and a brilliant man. He was also a, a, a believer in God. He was Christian. Just a little bit about George Washington Carver. He lived from 1864 to 1943. He was an African, African-American man. That's not a great time to live in our history's nation as an African-American. 1864 to 1943, George Washington Carver was a brilliant, brilliant man. It was finally a college up in Iowa that took him in. He could not get into college. They wouldn't let him go to college, and, and, and a college in Iowa took him in. And there he continued his studies, continued his learning. And I'm not going to tell you his whole story. I'm just going to tell you this. He transformed the agriculture of the southern part of our nation. You see, they grew cotton. We know the nation of our history there, and cotton is hard. It's a tough one. It's a tough one on the environment, tough one on the soil. And people plant cotton year after year, and the soil was just done. It was absolutely done. Well, he said, Got to be careful. I start talking about deer food plots. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, um, a legume is something that's good for the soil. Something you can plant that's good for the soil. And one of the most important ones is a peanut. And the South grew peanuts like crazy. Grew wonderful. But the thing is, you can only eat so many roasted peanuts. And there aren't too many elephants around. What do you do with all peanuts? So he took it upon himself to find ways to use the peanuts. Hundreds of ways to use the peanut. And he transformed the southern United States. He called his lab that he worked in, this is pretty neat, he called it God's 
God's little workshop. That's what he called it. And he addressed Congress in 1921. If you want to add that up real quick, he's 78 years old. Okay, We got a guy with a lot of life behind him, 78 years old. And he was asked by a congressman how he learned so much. This guy was brilliant. How did, Mr. Carver, how did you learn all of this? How did you get all of this in that mind of yours? Well, this is Mr. Carver's answer. He said, from an old book, I learned from the Bible. The congressman asked, he, was, he, he kind of took him off guard a little bit, and he said, oh, does the Bible tell about peanuts? I don't, I don't remember the peanut being in the Garden of Eden. probably was. As a matter of fact, I'm sure it was. But I don't remember reading a lot about it. Mr. Carver said, no, sir. But it tells about the God who made the peanut. I asked him to show me what to do with the peanut. And he did. I can tell you this. Everything that George Washington, Washington Carver learned, everything he did for this nation, it did not happen overnight. It took time. He was a man of study. And he wasn't just a brilliant... You know, Thomas Edison and Henry Ford tried to hire him. He said, now, I like my little workshop at the Tuscany Institute. I'm going to stay right here. Thomas Edison and Henry Ford, people. When you combine a driven, intelligent human being with believer in God, with follower of Jesus, with someone indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you get something powerful. Paul's advice to the church in Corinth. I'll sum it up for you. Church in Corinth had some issues, all right? They were immature, and when you take immaturity and you combine it with another thing called pride, whew, it's a tough combination, all right? And he had some issues with these folks. He loved them. He loved them. But he had some very strong advice for them, and his advice was this, grow up. Go deeper in your study. He, says, he said to them, I wanted to give you solid food. But you couldn't handle it. All you could take is milk. That's all you could take. He said, you're still, you're still drinking milk. Even now. You know, babies are cute. They are. They're cute little suckers. All right? I held my little niece just this week for a little while. All the family went swimming and she started crying. And I was like, Hey, baby's crying. They couldn't hear me. It's windy. Okay. I'm going to pick her up. She's pretty cute, I have to admit. It's kind of fun holding her. I'll tell you what. 16 years from now, I'm still holding her. There's a problem. Babies are cute. 
Folks, even all of you were cute once upon a time when you were a baby. <laughs> all of us were. But we're not supposed to stay babies. We're called to dig deep. Turn back to Philippians again. I told you we were going to circle the wagons and close up right there. You see, we didn't read the first that follows verse 8. And it's an important one. Philippians 4, I'm going to give you time to get there, all right? Be near the end of your New Testament. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, closing up his letter to these people that he's so impressed with and so happy for. As happy as Paul was with these folks, they weren't babes. They weren't babies, spiritually speaking. He said, they're still, you're not there yet though, folks. You keep going. Keep growing. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And I love it when Paul follows, do something with the why. He says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Why do we dig deep, folks? We dig deep so that people can follow us. That's what being an ordinary saint is all about. Following Jesus in such a way that those behind can follow Jesus in part by following me. That's the point. Are we giving people something to follow? Not because we're some wonderful person but because we're following him.